Good morning. Really glad you're here this morning. Conflict is normal, but normal people hate it. Unresolved, ongoing conflict makes for gloomy weather in our family circle, and it can spill over and sap our joy and motivation in all the other circles as well, uh, circles of work and among friends and church life. This parallels the impact of weather uh, systems on our atmosphere and on our mood. I, I saw an article this week titled, Weather and Mood, Rainy with a Chance of Depression. <laughs> that, that's good. Here's a video from Albany, New York, uh, and it, it is uh, describing the impact of weather on our mood. We, we had to go to Albany, New York, because... You know, we don't deal with it <laughs> as much as, as other folks do in parts of the country. I'm grateful for that. It's the middle of September. It's sunny. But, hey, it could be worse. <laughs> let's, let's watch this video. Cloudy and rainy are not the words you want to hear after what's been a long and really bitterly cold winter. Yeah, it seems the sky isn't the only thing that is kind of gray and dreary. News 10's Lauren Linder joining us live now from Troy to explain. Hi, Lauren. Hi, John. If you feel lazy or tired because of the weather, you're not alone. And the reason why is being studied right here at RPI's Lighting Research Center. Weather got you down? It's really miserable. It makes me really sad inside. I feel slightly less good than I should. Between a winter that dragged on and on and cold, rainy days this week, not everyone is in the best of spirits. It just makes me want to get in my bed and just put covers over me and stay inside. And a hint of sun last weekend was such a tease. It gives you so much hope. It was so beautiful and then it just it just went away. There's a reason for these mood swings and it has to do with light. Light during the day can make you more alert, perkier. Less depressed. Mariana Figueiro studies how light impacts the brain as the director of RPI's Lighting Research Center. She says researchers have proven that, psychologically speaking, being in the dark can make you depressed and tired, and being in the light can make you happy. Probably don't need a study to, to tell us that, you know, cloudy, rainy weather makes us feel slightly less good. <laughs> I like that statement. Uh, there's a range of how the weather affects us. Um, cloudy weather tends toward depression. Sunshine creates a lighter mood. In family life, it's the same way. There, there are all kinds of ways we can experience friction and conflict. It, it creates a gloomy atmosphere if it's not resolved. Very cloudy. Very, very gloomy. In families where conflict is ongoing and never solved, uh, uh, it feels like a storm's always brewing, and storms can be ominous. I think that's a good word for it. Have you ever been in weather like this, where there's, there's thunder and lightning, and the thunder just goes right through you? You feel like, whoa, whoa. it's unsettling. That, that, that shakes you up. I mean, it, it, is, it is something else. It's extremely difficult to drive in this kind of weather. Look, look at this. Have you ever had to do that? Have you ever had to drive in that kind of way? It's a little, little scary, a little hairy. In family life, it's very hard to team up and make progress toward 
good goals when a storm is always brewing. When things aren't going well in our most important relationships, those are really good pictures of what it can feel like. Uh, we're, we're answering the question in this series, how can I do my part to help the family be all it can be? In the face of conflict, the Bible gives a very clear, crystal clear answer and direction for how a follower of Christ should help their family be all it can be. Romans 14, 19 says, So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. That word upbuilding is a very interesting word. It's a construction term. Here, it's applied to relationships. Literally, in the Greek this was originally written in, it refers to the structure of a building and to the process of building it. So it's it's talking about like a house, (laughs) you know, the structure, and to the process of of building it. Um, what, What it means here relationally, as you apply that to family relationships and friendships, it means to increase the potential of someone or something with an emphasis on the process involved. So that that's what uh, Paul is talking about. He's the one that wrote this. God had him write it down. As we build our homes, we should be thinking about how to build others up. We have a responsibility to do that. If you're a follower of Christ, you have a responsibility to do that. And pursuing peace, which means we resolve conflict, we just don't let it lie there. We resolve it. That's a major way to build others up. It's like putting rebar in the concrete foundation, in the cement foundation. It strengthens things. You know, our foundation, if you decided to follow Jesus Christ, then He is the foundation of your life. And pursuing peace is a way to strengthen that foundation. Often in the middle of conflict, I, I think something like this. Uh, I, I just want this to be over. <laughs> I, I, I just, so I, I just really want to get on with enjoying life. Fill in the blank. You probably have a blank to fill in. I just, I just want to watch TV. I want to go play golf. I want to get on with making dinner or almost anything else besides. This is the thought that comes to my mind. I don't know about yours, but I just, I just want this to be over. Pursuing peace is very painful. But if you and I don't pursue peace, in the face of conflict, that means the family dynamics could become toxic and poison family life with wrong attitudes, and then the attitudes turn into caustic words. When I'm in conflict or irritated by the friction generated by relating to someone, I could have been the problem. Uh, I, I don't know the percentages, but... I need to be willing to consider that. Most of the time, however, when that friction is generated, peace is the last thing I want to pursue. (laughs) It's not. 
not, not natively the first thing on my mind. I need help. I need help to get motivated to pursue peace, to resolve conflict, to reconcile with the people around me. In a few moments, we're going to look at a passage from the Bible that shows God's heart and what he's done to reconcile us to himself. That's what we're talking about. We're, we're really talking about when you pursue peace and you set out to resolve conflict, something's broken. There, the relationship is broken between you and someone else. And the process of getting back together, making it right, is reconciliation. Uh, we're going to look at Ephesians. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But the word reconcile in the passage that we're going to look at, in, it really means to reestablish friendly interpersonal relations that have been disrupted or broken. That, that's what the passage is talking about. Now, the passage talks about being reconciled to God. And we, we aren't going to realize our need to be reconciled to God on our own. We, we, need, we even need help with that. We, we need the help of God's Spirit so that we, we see our need to be reconciled with God. Do you, do you know the feeling when you're checking your bank account, you realize you're in the negative and you thought you were in the positive? I, I do, because I'm, I'm not a mathematician, okay? I'm, I do have strengths, but, you know, keeping track of those kinds of things are not my strengths. So several times in my lifetime, I've gone to my checking account and I thought I was doing pretty good. I might even, I, maybe I made a purchase. Maybe I purchased, you know, I just bought something. I'm like, oh, I'm not in the positive now. I'm in the negative. Ooh, I, I don't like that feeling. I've been there a few times. And it, it, is, it is really not fun. When you realize you need to be reconciled to God, it's worse than that. It's like a knife to the heart. I remember the very first time I realized I need to be reconciled to God. It, it cut me like a knife to the heart. And I squirmed for several months. I squirmed. I, I grew up in church and I heard the message of Christ. I, I should have known my need before this moment, but this is the way it is. This is the way it goes. God makes the message, he brings it home to you personally at times in your life. And I, when that happened for me, I, I squirmed. I, because here's why. I didn't want to admit my sin. I didn't want to admit that I had rebelled against God, that I had ran my, I'd run my own way opposite of what he wanted me to do. And so I squirmed for several months out of pride, basic pride. But when I turned to God and admitted my sin to him, when I confessed my sin to God, wow. 
It was like the grace and mercy of God washed over me. And it freed me from my debt. Because what had happened is, all of a sudden I realized the debt I owed to God, because he's the one that made me. He not only made me, he paid the price in Jesus Christ to reconcile me to himself. So I double owed God. I was real, I was really in debt. That's the way we are as people. We're, we're in debt to God. And when, when that strikes you, it's like a knife to the heart. But what you can realize is because of the grace and mercy of God is that it's a scalpel. And he's doing surgery. He's trying to help. He's, he's fixed the problem. And so we can go to him and he will do the same for you. If, if you have not yet decided to follow Christ and you, you're going your own way and you turn from going your own way and give your life to Christ, he will pour out grace and mercy on you. He will wash you clean. He will, he has paid the debt. He has reconciled your account, which is heavy on the debtor side. He has paid the price for our sin. We can rejoice in that. This is how we get motivated to pursue peace in our relationships. If you're a Christ follower, you can, you can draw on this reconciliation, this motivation to want to reconcile because honestly, I, you know, when, when conflict erupts, I, that's not my native reflex to try to pursue peace. I, my native reflex is other stuff. It's not that, not that great. And so, this is where the motivation to pursue peace comes from. God has made a way for us to find peace with Him. We get motivated to pursue it by remembering that Jesus paid a high price to reconcile us to God. Ephesians is a book written by the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul went through the Roman Empire starting many, many churches. And what he would do is he would write letters back to those churches to help them know what it means to follow Christ, to help them understand who Jesus is, more about God, his way of life. And we learn in the Bible that these letters were inspired by God, not not inspired like a great work of art. That's awesome. Cindy and I were in Paris for less than 24 hours. We walked through the Louvre, and we saw the Madonna That wasn't that inspiring, frankly. But there were other works of art that we saw. Wow. You know, it's inspiring. But the Word of God is not inspired like a great work of art. It is, it, what the Word means literally in the Bible is that the words come from God. Speaks to origin. That these are the very words of God that, that He's speaking here. In Ephesians 2, God inspires Paul to make it clear that no person has peace with God to begin with as they are born and live. There is a canyon separating all of us from him that's created by our sin, by our, our own rebellion against God. After making this clear, 
Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. So we're separated, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace. He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. For a Christ follower, Jesus himself is at peace with God. He broke down the wall between us and God by dying on the cross for our sin. At the beginning of this section of scripture, and I'm not going to read the passage that this word's in there, it, Paul commands us, if you're a Christ follower, you need to remember. He says, you need, this is what you need to remember. You need to re- remember what Jesus has done, that he is our peace. To remember means to call to mind. It means to bring it to mind. It can also mean to rehearse and to keep thinking about, to keep mulling over this thing. Now, I've been in a handful of plays in my life, and when you rehearse for a play, you go over your lines so that you can remember them at the right time and speak them. That's what you, that's what you do when you're rehearsing. Christ followers rehearse what Jesus has done so we can remember it and pursue peace when conflict or conflict erupts. That's, that's what we're commanded to do here. We're, we're supposed to remember this. If you follow Christ, he paid for your peace with God with his own blood on the cross. Out of gratitude, we keep this in mind as we handle conflict and friction in our family circles. This is, this is good news. <laughs> this is really good news. And this is what Christ followers are also commanded to share with other people, this good news, this message that Jesus is our peace. If you decide to follow him and give your life to him as Lord and as boss, he will be your peace. It's true for everyone who who makes that decision. How effective is our testimony going to be if if we talk about Jesus being the peace, but we live in conflict with people and don't resolve it? It's it's not going to be. It's not going to make a dent. People really matter to God, and He wants us to treat everyone with. Dignity, even when we're responding to conflict that's erupted. We, we must pursue peace. In this passage, Paul is addressing two very different groups of people, Romans and, and Gentiles and Jews. In the first century, uh, when this was written, the Roman Empire was made up of Gentiles, and it was in control of the country of Israel, and this made for a great deal of friction and hostility and conflict because the opposing groups of people here. Jesus broke down the wall, separating us from God. And and then Paul goes on, he says this in verse 15, 16, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, the Jewish folks, they, they... 
looked down on the Gentiles because they had the law. They lived by the law. They did the works of the law. They thought that's how you get right with God. You work at it. It's all about doing good. It's all about fulfilling the law. And so Jesus abolished the law and of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of, of two, making peace. This is why Jesus came. So that Jews and Gentiles and any other two groups of people that are fighting each other could find peace in him so that he could be their peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He has, he stuck a knife in the hostility between us. If, if we come to know him, if we decide to follow him, Jesus paid the ultimate price to make peace and reconcile us to God. What this means is that Christ followers Keep this in mind. We remember this. We rehearse this out of gratitude. We, we thank God for what he's done in Jesus so that Jesus' work isn't wasted. So that we, he, he accomplishes what he wanted to. We, we must be willing to pay a high price for peace. It's going to require time, patience, and for me, worst of all, humility. That's why I squirmed when God showed me my need to be reconciled with him. Pride. I I don't like to eat humble pie. I don't like to humble myself before other people. Anyone. It's just in me. My reflexes don't lend toward admitting wrong in the conflict, I'm more likely to come up with reasons to justify my actions. Hey, I can come up with a great list. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I'm really good at it. I, I got, I can fire them off. I don't like to be humbled, but it is so important as the foundation for our relationships. All of this is why Jesus makes reconciliation a major priority for his followers. What is known as the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus laid out character traits of his followers that they should aspire to, that he will change and begin to grow you toward, and ways of doing worship and um, also just how to pray. He talked about how to pray in the Sermon on the Mount. Very famous sermon. Jesus said this in Matthew 5:23 through 24, which is part of that message, that sermon. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. This is, this is fascinating, isn't it? Here's the scene. When Jesus said this, God's people would go to the temple and they would offer a gift to God, a sacrifice to God as a way to worship him and thank him for the blessings he's given them. 
this is an important, meaningful time in the life of God's people here. Pursuing peace is such a high priority for Jesus' followers that if you're at worship and you remember that you've offended your brother, leave worship and get it right with him. That's how important it is to God. This, this is how crucial it is that we, we stay uh, right with those around us. When we're doing uh, religious things like worship, praying, or giving to God, it's easy for it to become routine, and we do the religious thing with a disconnect in heart. We just go, we check, check in, we're going through the motions, it's a routine. Jesus wants his followers to check their heart as they worship. And if something isn't right with family or friends, go make it right. <laughs> it's important. If something comes to mind with you this morning, make a mental note of that. Go, let's go, go make it right with, with the person. Here, here's the core message. You can't be right with God and wrong with people. You just can't. If I have wronged or offended someone, I need to admit it. That's hard to begin with. I don't like that. I need to admit it. I need to confess it to God. As soon as I confess it to God, which means say the same thing. Say, agree. I agree with God that it's wrong. I confess it. I'm forgiven. So I admit it to myself. I confess it to God, and I go and I'm reconciled with the other person that I've offended. I ask them to forgive me. When I am, uh, when, when I do that, I've done everything I can do to pursue peace. As a Christ follower, this is the way that I honor Jesus' death on the cross to pay for my sin. He made peace between me and God, so I pursue peace with others. I, I don't enjoy conflict. Uh, normal people don't. But I've learned to appreciate it a great deal. If you decide to pursue peace, conflict can morph, morph from something you dread and something unpleasant to something that connects us to others. Because the way it is, we, we just, in the con, you know, normal ins and outs of everyday life, if you're close to people, there's friction, there's conflict, there's trouble. It's normal. Conflict is normal. But we, we really need to learn that it can bring us together in a strong way. If we respond to the conflict in the right way, we can build a bridge of understanding that strengthens relationships. How, how can I help my family be all it can be as we face conflict, as we get, as there's friction and trouble? The moment conflict erupts, you have a choice to make. You, you, you're, in, you're in the time of decision. What we say and do next will either create a storm or magnify the storm that's being generated by the conflict or it will bring out the sun, so to speak. Here's how to diffuse conflict when it erupts. 
When you feel the tension rising, don't react. Pray instead. Thank Jesus for being our peace. Ask God to help you respond in the most constructive way. Typically, I I go back and forth. Sometimes I want to fight back or I want to run. God wants to help in the moment, and he will help if you ask for strength and wisdom. Give a soft answer. It's another thing we can do to diffuse. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Soft answers absorb anger and help to calm things down. Sometimes, I don't always pull this off, but sometimes the best I can do is maybe not a soft answer, but no answer. (laughs) Just absorb it. And then finally, pursue peace by talking it out at the right time with the right words. It's counterproductive to avoid conflict and just wait until the storm passes. We need to bring it in the light so we can deal with it. I'll be honest, in the middle of friction and conflict, in a relational storm, most of the time the last thing I want to do is reconcile to God. I I need God's help to, to want to. I really need his help. We need to go to him and ask for his help. This is why we read scripture. I mean, it's important to read scripture because this theme, the theme of God's mercy and grace toward us, is a thread that runs from the first book of the Bible through the last book of the Bible. We need to go to God, ask for help. We need to remember and rehearse what Jesus has done to reconcile us to God and pursue peace with others to honor him. Romans 12:18 says, "If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all." We can't control how our family is going to respond to us. We can't control how anyone's going to respond to, to, to us, but we can pursue peace. Jesus doesn't want us to pursue peace at all costs, which by that I mean he doesn't want us to compromise the truth. We need to be honest about what's going on. He doesn't want us to just allow others to break through appropriate boundaries. But as far as it depends on us, we're to do everything we can within right boundaries. There is so much we can do to pursue peace that honors God. If you're a Christ follower, you can carry weather with you. In fact, all of us do either way. We, we create a weather pattern in our relationships. And it's either stormy, it could be cloudy, it could be depressing, or it could be bright and sunny. With Jesus, we can draw on what he's done to reconcile us to God. We can't control others, our family, our friends, our co-workers, but we can choose how we respond and handle the conflict. And if we choose to pursue peace with God's help, we just might be used by God to change the weather, the atmosphere in our family life and in the other circles that we're in. As I wrap up, I want to encourage you to take a next step today. On the back side of the connection card are some next steps. They're on the left-hand box. 
uh, of the back of that connection card. If you take that out and check them out, that'd be great. I encourage you to take one of these. My next step today is to memorize Romans 14, 19. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Just a, a quick reminder to pursue peace. And then another step could be to pursue peace by seeking to reconcile a broken relationship today. Uh, maybe someone's come to mind and you need to get things right with them. Go ahead and take that step today. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth in your word. We thank you, God, for your grace. We thank you, Jesus, for what you've done to reconcile us to yourself, to to God the Father, to yourself. Thank you, God, for the power you give and the motivation you give to make things right with others. And I pray that you you would help us with the next step that you've laid on our hearts today. In the name of Jesus Christ.